get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. Meantime. And now, literally, by popular demand, it is another episode of golf's magic time known as Swing Thoughts. I'm Humble Howard, along with the performance coach, the mental guru, coach of the Guelph Griffin, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and uh, Tim's on the phone, I'm on the microphone, and welcome uh, everybody, hi Tim Tim. Hey, how you doing? Been a while, eh? Yeah, you know, I want to start off by saying something that's interesting, I've been at a, a bunch of golf tournaments lately, and I'm not sure if you've had this experience, but I, um, I've run into some people, including at the National Invitational last evening, that have said the following words to me. Hey, you guys are a little overdue to drop a new podcast. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting because we actually are, uh, even though we've got a small fan base, uh, they're very excited about the show and, and uh, asked me several times, what's, uh, what's been going on? And I said, Timmy and I are busy. Yeah, yeah, we we had tournaments to coach and play in. But I thought that was an interesting thing after doing the show oh, for nice. a year. Yeah. That people that like it have actually noticed uh, that uh, we haven't done one for a couple of weeks. And as you say, you've been busy coaching, and I've been busy playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's nice that people miss our little show, so... That makes me feel good. Yeah, it made me feel good, too. I thought I'd share that with you because it's better than people going, hey, will you guys stop putting out so many podcasts? (laughs) Or, you know what, that show you're doing, you know, if you didn't do it anymore, I would miss it. (laughs) (laughs) That would be okay with me. Uh, That show we do uh, is brought to you. Go ahead. You just keep going. It's brought to you by TaylorMade. Commercial part. Yes, it's brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, the number one driver in the game. And I can tell you, I uh, was recently fitted for a new driver, and uh, it's ridiculous. It's uh, I haven't got it yet, but the day I was hitting it, and I hit it on the range uh, last week as well. It's uh, it's absurd. Taylor made as well as Glen Karen, and uh, we we sponsor uh, Men's Night at Glen Karen and Blue Springs. There's never been a better time to join. As well, Club Link is what I'm talking about, and of course TimO'Connor.ca. O'ConnorGolf.ca, I should say. And um, let's say this at the beginning and the end of the show. If you're looking for somebody to coach you uh, through the mental processes of the game, you can't find anyone finer than this gentleman on the phone, Timothy O'Connor Jr. You're very nice. You're really nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, and... Check out the Scratch Player in Radio. You're a Scratch Player in Radio, too, on the uh, Humble and Fred show. So, people, listen to that show. It's the National Morning Show. I mean, Thank it's not you. just a show. It's the National Morning Show. It's a, coast, it's a, to coast to coast. Yeah, it's heard all over North America and uh, Mexico. But I'll tell you what. I'm not a Scratch golfer. I want to clear that up. Um, oh. Well, no. I mean, my handicap at the start of the year was like 0.9, and it skyrocketed through the early, you know, May season and now it's sort of settled down around two but uh, oh, i'm yeah, okay with that sorry that's a scratch to me and i Is think it? the most most reasonable <laughs> a two would be a scratch all sorry. right but i am excited that uh really interesting you mentioned about obviously our good sponsor TaylorMade. that when this 
call is done. I get to pick up my new gloves. Are you serious? Are you getting new irons? New everything, pal. Nice. I got, uh, yeah, I got fitted uh, by Jared Lytle at the uh, TaylorMade Performance Lab in Woodbridge uh, about 10 days ago. And our good friend Kevin Hansberger, was, he was there. We timed it so Kevin would be there, and he'd give you like a treatment. And you know, before I got fitted, he says, well, you don't want to be treated to that locked-up, decrepit body you got. So he met me there, and he got the – so before the fitting happened, he got the table out there and gets me doing all these different things. And so I would be fitted to this, you know, body that moves with a degree of freedom. So I told that to people, say, oh, Connor, do, is it to the point now you have, like, an entourage? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know what? We're very lucky, and, and Hansberger's been great Absolutely. with me. I got to go see him, but I just love the idea that there you are in Woodbridge on Highway 27 at this unbelievable golf facility. And before they can put you through the uh, the fitting, you say, hang on a second. I have my personal trainer here to make sure that my 60-year-old bones move, you know, correctly. Well, it was Kevin's whole idea, and I just laughed about it, but it was like, it was great. You know, I felt really good, and... It, it made sense to me intellectually mm-hmm. that, you know, I should be get fitted while I, you know, my body moved well. Um, so thanks. Another shout out to Kevin. Folks, if you have issues, things that you want to, uh, you know, straighten things out in, in your body and, and especially in your golf swing. It'd be, what I've really learned from Kevin is that a lot of the things that happen in our swing and our golf shot are not so much that we forgot to swing or you know how to do this thing is that our bodies just aren't allowing us. So check out uh, Hansberger Physio. Okay. Um, so now that I, I was going to say, now that we've got the uh, the sponsor plugs out of the way, um, well, I just have to uh, one more, please. Oh, you have one, one more. more. I'm sorry. Please, yes. please continue. Jared Lytle uh, fit me at TaylorMade, and uh, it was phenomenal. If you've not been fitted, folks, go through that experience. It's 250 bucks uh, to be fitted. And it's a phenomenal experience. You've been through it. Uh, more than once. I've been very yeah. lucky. You know, I mean, I know Jared, and I know all the, all the guys at the lab, including our good friend Stuart Bandantine. And I was, uh, you know, it's funny because I've been getting my stuff in in different, you know, shipments. And so it's like every other week I drop by there. It's like my personal golf pro shop. <laughs> like yesterday I was there on my way to a tournament getting some new shoes and hats. So I love, you know, it's like for golfers. And believe me, you've never met two more grateful people than uh, Tim and I. And I'm speaking for you when I say we don't take this stuff lightly. We we really appreciate it. And, and doing the podcast, uh, this is kind of our payment. You know, I mean, we get these guys on the show, uh, tailor-made and, uh, and all sorts of uh, nice people that have been you know good to us. And we're happy to share the experience with you. Yeah, and as a club link coach, I also... We uh, Clublink has uh, the Clublink Academy has has a uh, a relationship with TaylorMade and Adidas, so it, it works kind of. I'm working both sides of that street, and I, as you said, I'm very grateful for that. We're very fortunate uh, young men. Okay, well, let's get to it. So, I think what I thought we would do today, and we haven't really discussed it, but we've been talking a lot about different aspects of uh, golf over the last uh, three or four weeks with each other just not doing it for the podcast. And so I thought we would start with your story, which I love, of the coaching experience with the team and the concept of slightly not caring, because that'll sort of segue into, you know, my most recent tournament experience. What do you think? 
Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a great place to start. So, um, as our listeners uh, may know, I was uh, ascended, if you will, to the head coach position for the University of Guelph Griffin golf team uh, about three months ago officially. But my very first tournament as head coach was <laughs> the Canadian University College Championships. Nice. So I just didn't. I just didn't slide into you know the the, the you know podunk invitational no this is the national championship and um anyways it was the our guys had played last year didn't make the cut didn't play that well only two team members out of our five had played in it before so you know i kind of thought we got a young team um so i need to switch things up i wanted to get them in a space where they would just be a little less nervous and actually have some fun and um, so what I drew on was was some stuff that I had read from uh, Sean White, the snowboarder. And um, so it's uh, Sean White. He performed. I forget the name of the um, of the particular maneuver. It was, but it was where he did this thing in the 2010 Olympics has never been done before. He did. I think it was two somersaults on a snowboard snowboard while spinning three times you know up in the air and everything and people said how did you do that you know it was just unbelievable maneuver he says well he says for one i wasn't thinking and i was focused and i slightly didn't care (laughs) and to me that was one of the best descriptions i've ever heard of the zone so so what i came up with was a basically a mantra for the team so before every round we put our hands in together and said okay guys together i slightly don't care and um they loved it it was really fun well maybe you can explain a little bit about you know when a somebody listening is going okay what does that mean to to slightly not care not just about the day and the tournament and the hole but Standing over a golf shot, how, how did that translate to these guys? And, and what were some of the, what's some of the feedback that they gave you and how that idea of being somewhat detached from the results but still focused enough to want to do your best to achieve whatever can be achieved in that, in that moment? Right. So we start from the premise. So, so the, the irony of this, I slightly don't care, is that we all really, really care. That's usually the issue in golf and in performance in general, is that we care so much that we get emotionally invested and we become very emotionally volatile. So when things don't go well, a bad break, we've made a mistake, we tend to be thrown into our heads and make a lot of judgments and react badly and that type of thing. So it's not a problem that we don't care enough. We generally care too much. So what it is, it's, it's kind of a twist on it, and it's almost like a Zen cone, if you will, and that if we come from a place of, well, I know I care a lot, but I'm going to slightly not care, we can practice awareness and detachment so that when someone has something go wrong or whatever, a bad bounce, rather than going into you know this place of reaction and anger or frustration, you can kind of catch themselves and go, like, oh, that happened, and I slightly don't care. About <laughs> so it's really just kind of a, a, a fun little way to practice detachment. Um, for the you people who are not as uh, 
Pardon me? The guys loved it. It was really fun because I, I, you know, I said, first I was said, well, this is going to be slightly different, but you, you want to go with this? So we put our hands together and said, and repeat after me, I slightly, we slightly don't care. And they laughed, but we did it every day. And uh, the guys actually played really well. Tough Monday. Uh, they shaved as a team 16 strokes off uh, in both rounds two and three. And they made the cut after three rounds and finished ninth in Canada. Nice. And, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it was around, uh, you know, they're really good players, a good team. Um, but a little bit, they, they really enjoyed this this mantra thing and they actually said we should get t-shirts made up with that <laughs> i love it i love it as your as your uh, mantra i love it as the uh, sort of team mascot for you people that aren't as you know zenny as me and tim a koan is a riddle or a puzzle that buddhists use during meditation to help them unravel greater truth but what's so great about the phrase and i invite everyone to try it because i tried it um is it gives you sort of a sense of is, and I will, I will just make it a little bit more practical. Standing over the ball um, is really, there's no more time to remember how to hit a golf shot. All you can do at that moment is do the best you can and, and see what happens. But if you can kind of get to the point where you almost don't care about the outcome anymore, you slightly, you've focused, you've given your yardage, you got the club in your hand. At that point, it's another way of sort of I know it's cliche to say it, but of allowing yourself to just let it go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the letting go part is uh, a couple of different things. It's the letting go of the attachment to the outcome of the shot. It's also letting go of any expectations and, and also kind of giving you the permission to just, you know, try swing your freest at that moment. Yeah, you've nailed it. Absolutely. It's all of that. All of that, what you said. Because we really, you know, you think, you, if you ask any golfer or anyone who's performed well in any um, vocation, when you do your best, you think about what were you doing? Were you trying hard? You know, what was your level of tension? Most people say, I, it was just happening. I just, it's most like you just allowed it to happen. Because when we release ourselves of these, as you say, these, this, um, you know, concerned about how this is going to turn out and my expectations. Then we just do everything a lot more freer. And um, an anecdote that I often use around this piece is uh, about Brad Faxon, which I, I wrote a blog uh, about it on my on my website. And uh, it's Brad about Brad Faxon, who uh, yeah we saw on the uh, the Fox coverage of the U.S. Open, but in the '80s and '90s. Uh, PGA Tour player, really good player. He played on the Ryder Cup, but he was one of the best putters in the world at that time. And the story goes is that he was at a tournament. He's on the practice screen, and someone comes out and he's just whacking balls all over the place. And yeah, this is the world's one of the world's best putters. And someone asks him, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm practicing, not caring." <laughs> and I, I just thought that was funny, and also it. And it sounds ludicrous, but in in a way, he like he was serious. He's gonna just take it and let it go. And when you can do that in golf and all other different things, things become a lot easier, and you'd be amazed at how well you can perform. Um, a guest we had on the show a couple episodes ago, Ron Sissons from Calgary. Um, I'm not sure if he mentioned this while we had him on the show, but I remember talking to him at some point, and he was talking about 
closing doors, closing doors one and two. Did we talk about that on the podcast or was that no, just? No, no, no. Well, he and I were talking about how do you prepare to hit the your best shot? And it kind of goes in the same category as slightly not caring. But, you know, he talked about closing door number one. And door number one is all the various expectations of being in a tournament or playing around a golf or you're on your you know, fifth hole of the day and you haven't had a par yet and all the things that golfers do. He said, in order to hit a, better, uh, a good shot, you got to close that door, which is simple enough. You can kind of like, okay, I'm going to let that stuff go. The future, the past, I'm just here. He said, but the second door is the toughest and that's the door where once you've done all your calculations and you got seven iron to a, a back right pin and you've already thought about cutting it and all that stuff that you're going to do, he said, then you have to close door number two and that's let all that stuff go. And at that moment, sort of along the lines of slightly not caring, he says at that moment, you're not trying anymore because trying or thinking about the target. And again, this is just his opinion, but I, I kind of like it. If you're still thinking about the target as you're hitting that golf shot, his theory is, and I, and, and I sort of uh, subscribe to it, is that then you still have some expectations. If you can get to the point where you completely shut that door and you just make a golf swing, you've already done all the other calculations. It's sort of similar. It, it is a way to allow yourself to just give over to the experience of making the best motion you can at that moment. Absolutely. I love that. And, and what that's very, very interesting because aren't we told over and over again to focus on target? And so so when people do that, they're generally thinking about target. And do we need to be thinking, you know, rather than just allowing? It's like, um, I remember people used to say to uh, Mo Norman every once in a while that he would just play so fast. He, says, he would just hit a shot, you know, and, and to a green. And he'd, and he'd say, what's the problem? Did they move the green? Like, he knows where it is. It's the same way a shortstop, when he makes a you know a dazzling grab and maybe ends up facing the outfield, he turns around and guns it to first base. He knows where it is. As a golfer, we know where the target is, so we don't need to fixate and really like you know. Well, no, the point. Yeah, I I agree. Laser focus. The, no, no, it's 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 not the. Uh, I agree, but what he's talking about, and I've put it into practice, is you can't be thinking about it while you're swinging that club. I agree. That's because what what a lot of time what what a lot of times happens to golfers, especially on tighter courses or as we get nervous, is you start to you know that term steering it around is oh, yeah. just basically being so attached to outcome, consequence, and even target that you're just trying to steer it there. And you know we've talked about this. We've said it a thousand different times, a hundred thousand different ways. If you, you've got to give up control, I know it's a Newtson thing, but you've got to give up some control to gain control of your golf ball. And in the moment at, when you shut door number two, when everything has been done, basically you're trying to give up as much control as you can at that point and just make a wholehearted attempt at swinging that club the best you can. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I've had some good results that way and just sort of a, you know, because I'm very detail-oriented in my pre-shot. I've got it all figured out, but a lot of times I was still thinking about what I was trying to do at the moment I was trying to do it. And that's not as freeing as just going, well, I want to hit a soft high cut here with my 7-iron to the back right pin, but that's all done now. Now I'm just going to make a swing. 
Absolutely, I love it. Yeah, I think I think in some ways we're saying somewhat the same thing in a different way. But no, I'm in a complete agreement with you, um, and I love that uh, door number one, door number two thing. There's all kinds of different ways in which we can kind of somewhat get to the same thing by saying it in a different way. And um, yeah, I love that door number one, door number two thing. Although it reminds me of a a long running and rather bad TV game show. <laughs> Which is um, what? What is that show called? Oh, um, what's the show Bob called? Parker. Oh uh, no, Price is Right. No, it's um, isn't it Monty Hall? Oh, this is old guys trying to remember shows back. Nothing like hearing old kids. white men trying to figure out what they're trying to remember. I just um, remember Cheech and Chong. That they, what was the one he? Uh, Sergeant Stadank or something like that. And he says he picked door number. You know, yeah, he goes on. Oh, the price. That wasn't the Price is Right. Whatever. Never mind. Okay, drop it. What's, what's the next thing we're going to talk about? <laughs> well, I wanted to introduce, uh, uh, I don't know, they're, they're picking up the garbage right now here at the studio, in the storefront studio in Toronto, and we're just going to hear them. Um, well, maybe it won't get too loud. I, um, I want to hear about how you, like, you played the Ontario Am. And you Mid-Am. Not the well. Am. Be careful. The Mid-Am. Yes, the Mid-Am. Yes, the mid-am. yes, for older guys. Well, Although, 25 and older, yeah. Yeah, that's not young. Oh, my God. I mean, that's not old. Um, you did rather well, young man. I did. Uh, it was good. It was my uh, certainly my best tournament result at, at the highest level I've played at in a long time. <clears throat> um, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I think I'm not sure if we talked about this the last time we did a podcast that I bogeyed the last three holes in the qualifier to finish on the number. Uh, I yes. finished bogey, bogey, bogey. And I uh, tied for 21st, but there were six guys at my number, and golf's uh, most cruel retrogression reared its ugly head, and I became an alternate. And as the tournament got closer, I went from, like, the 12th alternate to the 8th to the 3rd, whatever. And I was third alternate the day before the tournament, and I had decided that I was going to go up there, play a practice round with my friends that were in the tournament, and if I got in, great. If not, spend the night and come home and... You know, I had a couple other tournaments sort of in my back pocket I could play in, and it was going to be fine. So I was completely okay with whatever happened. And as I was getting ready to go on that Monday, which is a week ago, I got a call from the GAO, and I was in the tournament. And at that moment, I decided that um, this was a great opportunity, and I was going to embrace it and be grateful for it. And I was in a you know good place of equanimity, as we like to talk about it. And I thought, you know mm-hmm. what, you know, this wasn't. I was, it's a bit of a bonus for me to get in, and I, I really wanted to, and I, I got a little bit of, ret, what would it be, not retribution, but a, a bit of a mulligan for having finished so poorly at the qualifier. And I, uh, I want to talk about this, in, 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 but I want to introduce this phrase that my coach, Paul Henrik, um, introduced to me. And he's a guy I work with, not just so on my swing, but he's a longtime Canadian tour player, he's played some U.S. events in his time. And he's, he's been really good for me because he's got so much tournament experience. And he hasn't really, we've worked on my golf swing and game, but, but from a tournament standpoint. And the phrase I'm going to introduce to our listeners now is called big boy pants. Not big boy pants. Big boy, I call it big boy pants, but it's big boy play. Okay. And here's what he what he calls it. So little boy golf is when, you know, and I've played a lot of little boy golf. We all have. It's when you get mad and you pout and you sulk and you don't try. And, you know, you've got to tap in for the double bogey, but you're pissed off and you just smash it and you make a triple. And it somehow 
somehow playing am I, you know what I'm talking about somehow oh god every, everybody knows what you're talking about so and, and you know that kind of you just give up you, you know you gave up but you think well by giving up then if I shoot a million then I have a justification because I didn't really try that hard that's right you tank you tank yeah well and as Paul said to me he said you know you Sometimes, and he's being honest with me, he says, sometimes you you play little boy golf. Again, with all respect to little girls, too. But at so the he point is, he called me out saying, you know, sometimes, he's, right. he said, I played with you, and sometimes when it's not going your way, you know, you act like a little kid. And he said, if you want to be a good tournament player, you've got to play like a big kid. Mm-hmm. And And I decided that, you know, no matter what happened in this tournament... I wasn't going to give up, and I would, and I meant it like I, I I made that vow to myself, like inside me, not just saying it. And as and it's fine, uh, you know, everything's cool until something goes wrong. Um, but I was gonna, I vowed that I was gonna try on every shot, and if I made the cut, great. If I didn't, I would know. I would go home knowing that I didn't tank and I didn't pout, and I didn't give up. And so. When I started bogey, double bogey, I don't tell you, Tim, I was so nervous on the first hole, um, like I was trembling. And I, I want to, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell everyone, you know, I was standing over the ball and it was almost like I had this weird thought. I thought, what if I can't take the club back? <laughs> uh, what if I just, what if it just turns out I stand here for the rest of the day and they have to say, Mr. Glassman, you're disqualified. Uh, your group's putted out on the first hole, and I'm still just standing there trembling. Oh, yeah. But somehow I uh, I got the club back, and I hit it pretty good. Anyway, I start off bogey, double bogey. The first two holes of the tournament, I double the second hole. And um, I was just like, well, okay, we'll just get on with it. And I I got up and down on the third hole. And the reason I want to, I'm not taking you through my round, but the reason I want to mention this is another good friend of ours, and a sports psychologist named Charles Fitzsimmons, who's also my better ball partner. He's a good player. He's getting his Ph.D. in sports psychology. He said, you know, there's a funny thing about golf. He said, if you, the strangest thing is if you keep trying, it's, it's in the trying that produces an extraordinary shot. What I mean by that is nobody ever hit a bad, a great shot with a big lip on sulking and pouting. Right. But as long as you keep engaged and you're trying on every shot, he says, sometimes you produce a very good shot, and that wipes away everything that's happened. So on the third hole of the tournament, I've been trembling, and I'm nervous, and I'm having trouble breathing. I pull my third, my first shot on a par three, way left of the hole, and I got a downhill slope. And I, I, If I'm going to get the ball to stay on the green, I've got to land it in the fringe, and I hit it just so perfectly, I almost sink it. And it, it lips out, I have a one-inch tap in. And that shot settled me down, and I played the next 15 holes, one over par. And I shot 76 in the first round. And it was like a, a transformative tournament experience because I was just settled down to the point where when things went wrong, as they inevitably do, because I made some more bogeys and I made three birdies, and I just kept going. And it was, so uh, cool. it was an interesting experience. I used your, uh, my mantra was slightly not caring. And I made sure that before I hit the shot, I closed the second door. Because it's a tight golf course. And in three rounds of golf, because I made the cut, I played the third round. I finished tied for 45th. But in three rounds of golf, 
I was only out of position where I lost a ball or had a penalty a couple of times. The rest of the time, I kept the ball in play. I didn't hit it great, but I kept it in front of me. And I putted and chipped pretty good. And everything sort of worked out. You know, I had a a really, really... Do you have any questions? Because I'm going to tell you one last story. (laughs) Do you mind if I comment? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was absolutely fabulous. Uh, I love your story there. Um, And Deerhurst Highlands is a heck of a golf course. Um, There's not much room for error, you know, because largely you miss fairway. You're into, like, bear country. Uh, But it's so good for you, man, in terms of, 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 you know, I don't know, admitting that, that you went there. A lot of people wouldn't admit that stuff, that they're trembling. But anyone who's been in any high-level competition in golf, the first few times you do it, your body is in a total uproar. And, you know, you can be a really good player, but if you don't have reps in at, at a higher level, your body's going to react in ways you're just not used to. So good for you to hang in like that. But I totally get how if you just keep tr- giving it your best shot, um, giving it your full effort, um, then good things can happen. But a lot of players, what they'll do is they'll do one of two things when it doesn't go well. They'll get angry and they'll like have a little hissy fit and do this, maybe throw clubs and stuff, or, or pout or, or tank. And, and basically what you're saying, the message you're giving to people is, you know what, I'm really way better than this. I just got angry. Or, you know, I just stopped caring. And, and that is a fragile ego that does that. And so I'm, I love what uh, your coach Paul said about, you know, put, you know, play big boy golf. Well, here's the thing. Let me comment on your comment. You know, here's the thing, and I've been, I've, I'm the worst I ever met. When you pout or throw clubs or get angry, what you're also saying is, this day is done. Um, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, my score is going to be 87, be, not because I had a, because I, it's because I of all these other things. You're basically starting to write the story of your round, and that might be on the first hole. It could be on the, the 16th hole. But you're right. basically writing a narrative that says, man, I would have done better if I hadn't gotten a bunch of bad breaks, and then I got mad, and I sort of gave up. So it doesn't really count. But it's, it's harder and more rewarding, though, to put on your big boy pants and keep trying, even though, you know, you might, you might not be what, where you want to be, but it's better than being one stroke higher. And that's all I said to myself. Wherever I can save a stroke, no matter what that's for, and I'm going to tell you that the second part of this in a second is it, 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 I just kept trying and I, you know, I just wanted to make bogeys instead of doubles and doubles instead of triples. Yeah. Yeah. And, and giving your full effort. That's that's great. And so that that's a mature. The other way to look at this is that playing with your big boy pants on, you're mature. You know, it's when we're immature and we allow our, our little boy to run away from us. That's when we kind of like we're having this little tantrum and, you know, either being angry or pouting. No, it's, it's fine to be, you know, it's, what is it, TGFU? What's, <laughs> What's the other way? <laughs> Grow the F up, you know? Yeah. And, and that in all ways is, is that, uh, you know, people are waiting for the big boy to show up. You know, we can see the little boy and say, thank you very much, but just go, go play in the street or something. And, you know, listen, I can tell you inside my body, in 54 holes of golf, not once did I want to punch myself in the face, which has happened before. 
Um, and I, and I'm, what I'm trying to say is I'm not just saying that I did this. I felt it. And by feeling yeah. it, here's the cool thing. By actually feeling it, like, okay, no matter what comes, no matter what trouble, because trouble's coming. You just know it is. That no matter what comes my way, I am going to give every effort I can, even if it means I've got to chip it in for bogey or double bogey because it's better than seven. And so the second day, I shoot 76 the first day, and I, you know, I mean, I could have, I never one says I could have, but I was literally in the middle of the 18th fairway, having started three over, and I'm three over for the round. And for the first time that day, I think to myself, hey, isn't this cool? I was three over after two. All I need to do is par this easy par five, and I shoot 75, and I started to write the story until yeah, before go. it was finished. And I, I just got a little bit ahead of myself. You know, I sort of fade blocked a six iron layup, and I put it in a hazard that I had sort of not really realized it was that close. I made bogey, and I sort of said to myself after, don't write this story until it's over, because I really... You know, I could have hit two wedges in part of the hole, but I started yeah. to write that. I started to feel pretty, you know, it was an immature reaction. I started to feel, um, you know, sort of like, well, proud of myself. Like, good for you, old man. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I totally get it. And that's cool. And it's totally natural to, to have a thought like that. You know, there's nothing wrong with thinking, wow, I was three over after three and I'm still three over now I've been I've played pretty well. Nothing wrong with thinking like that. It's about basically how you respond, right. how you go like, oh, I'm catching myself. I'm I'm doing this story thing. Okay, what do I really need to do? So that was just a really good learning piece for you. And I, that's what I love about your whole experience in the uh, in the mid am It's just a great great learning experience. And to me, that's way more important than the numbers that go down on the card. Oh, absolutely. Like, and, and, you know, and again, I sort of smiled to myself when, when that, that round was over. I said, you know what, Howard, you know, again, I, I should have, I knew I thought it. And I thought, isn't that cool? But I just didn't get back to the business of hitting that. I had 170. I was literally choking down on a six iron just to put it in position to hit a sandwich to the green. And then when I blocked it right, I was like, oh. I don't think yeah, I don't think yeah. that's going to be very good. Okay, quickly, I'll tell you about just really, really quickly. So the next day is the day of the cut, and I am in full front nine chaos mode. I'm talking about I can't find the club. I'm all over the golf course. I'm getting eaten alive by black flies, and I I don't even know. I told you on the phone I had no idea what I shot on the front nine until I was in the scoring tent after the round. I really didn't. I just knew that it was a huge number. I didn't know what it was because, as golfers listening can relate, it was just so much. Like, I don't... I made a par, then a bogey, then a double, then a double, then a bogey. I mean, I had trouble keeping track of it. But I want to tell you, three, three times in that round of golf, three times I got up and down for double bogey. Three times I got up and down for bogey, including getting up and down for bogey on the last hole of the round to make the cut by one. But what happened was, because I didn't get involved in the score, thanks to Ken Tarling, I got off the ninth hole and I thought, okay, well, let me see what I can do here. In fact, actually, I parred the ninth hole and for the next, from the eighth hole to the 17th hole, I played that stretch of holes one over par. It's just I started to 
you know, sort of find the face of the club again. And because I was in full-on trying mode, that, you know, my swing kind of settled down. And I started making pars, and I made a birdie. And my buddies are watching it online. I'm outside the cut line. Then I'm inside it. I'm outside it. Anyway, I, I tried a shot I should never have on the last hole, thinking I needed to do something spectacular. And I pull-hooked it into a hazard next to the green. But I found my ball. I didn't suck. I didn't get all pouty and think, well, the tournament's over now. I didn't think any of that. I thought, well, let's get up and down here and see what happens. And I hit it. It was a really tough shot. I don't want to make it sound greater than it was, but it, was a, it wasn't an easy up and down. But I did it. I got the putt. And when I sat down and I added up my score, it was 83. I shot 44 in the front nine and 39 in the back nine. And I got to tell you, it was the most satisfying round of golf of the three of them because I thought, you know, at any point in this day, I could have completely tanked. Any yeah. point. You let your little boy take over. I could have let the little boy ride and, and do all that stuff I do and get mad and be and then drive home thinking, you know, boy, I got some bad breaks or blah, blah, blah. But when I tell you I got up and down for some double bogeys, it was cool. Like I was in some horrible spots and I wasn't playing well and I got a few weird breaks, but I never stopped trying. And I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. Getting up and down for six on a par four may not sound like a lot, but it's better than seven. No, but what you're saying is that you like you, you, you like you were like grinding on like a four footer for double. Dude. I sat down at dinner with our friend Mike you know, our, we have a friend Mike Bondy that uh He's been, he's been on the show a couple times. So there's me and Bondi and a couple other guys from my club that made the cut. And I was the last one there. And I get to dinner. They're all like, Humble, that was great, buddy. Way to hang in. And I ordered a Diet Pepsi. And I put my head down. And Bondi sort of patted me. He goes, it'll be okay. I'm telling you, Tim, I was exhausted. Oh, I totally get I, it. I just, I was literally, I couldn't <laughs> hold my head up. It was ridiculous. Because I was just... I had tried so hard for five hours that I was like, it was crazy. But that's so cool, you know, that that you're, you know, you've done the work. You've been playing this game for a long time. You're a really good player. And here you are, you're testing yourself at the, at the high level. Like, you know, the Ontario mid amp So, yeah, there's some older guys in there. But you're competing also against 25-year-olds. You know, kids are just like maybe just out of college. Yeah, maybe it took them a while to graduate. But, you know. People who can bomb that freaking thing, dude! I'm telling you, I played. There you are. Three days in a row, I played with nothing but kids who had their dads there caddying for them, and all their dads were my age. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. Like did I'd hit. Did you talk investments? Oh yeah, we were talking about kids, mortgage mortgages, and kids, and I'd, I'd hit a good shot, and the old guys would give me the thumbs up, like way to go, you know, way to represent. Um, but it was good. Hip hop music, or there's no good music <laughs> anymore, or any of that crap. I mean, it's disgusting how far some of these kids hit a ball. Like, I'm not short. I mean, it was ridiculous. I got outdriven a few times by 55 or 60 yards. I had a four iron. One of the downhill uh, par threes is like 205. I hit four iron, you know, pin high. I look over. I can't tell what the club the kid's got in his hand is, but it's got a lot of loft on it. <laughs> so exactly, he hits exactly. it. It goes about a mile in the air, and as he's putting his club back, I go, oh. Seven iron, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm not going to yeah. be. Well, I you know what? I don't know how much longer you, you want to go. On I'm, this, I'm almost done. Okay, but I was just going to say, um, pretty interesting on uh, the U.S. Open. It was like a new, it was like a new guard was showing here. You know, uh, the, none of the uh, the usual suspects. 
Uh, Tiger seems like a certain, like a distant memory. And here are all these young guns. The guys are like, like Brian Harmon, five foot seven, hundred and fifty pounds, I think. Yep. He is at he is at three hundred yards. Well, no, it's you funny know, you uh, say that because at one point they were talking about Harmon saying, you know, one of the shorter hitters, and then they, they had the TrackMan numbers. Yeah. And he flew at three twelve. And I thought, short, exactly. I mean, 20 years ago, Tiger was the longest on the tour, averaging something just over 300 yards a drive. And now Brian yeah. Harmon is considered a, considered a shortish hitter, and he flew it in the air 312. Yeah. Like, it's and, bizarre. And, oh, it's amazing. But it's the, it's the kind of confluence of technology, uh, fitness, just this guy's going for it. Most of those guys, uh, like, look at Fleetwood. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Justin Thomas, those guys, I think collectively, you know, they weighed about 140 pounds each. Yeah. And they just, they absolutely nail it. But what was really cool is that all the guys in contention, you know what? They might have been averaged out at maybe 26, 27 years old. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's a, it's a different game. I actually had uh, our friend uh, Todd Graves, who um, he te- he's got the Graves Golf Academy, teaches Moe's Method. He was so angry when uh, the USGA cut down the rough around. He said, you know, it's all about bombing it. It has nothing to do with how straight anybody hits it anymore. I think he's got a point to a degree. Um, but, uh, man, it was it was interesting to watch. It wasn't quite a compelling open. We didn't quite have the story of, like, a Sergio Garcia and all that stuff. But... Uh, and I think to some degree we might have witnessed the changing of the guard there. Well, if you think about Brooks Kepka and and what he looks like, him and Dustin Johnson and uh, uh, Day and yeah, Day, and I'm thinking about a couple other guys, uh, Woodland. They all look like they they should be a free safety on the New England Patriots. You know, no, they I just know, but like two percent body fat. Well, yeah, they don't look like. Go- well, here's the thing. 20 years ago, Brooks Kepka was seven years old, and Tiger Woods burst onto the scene. And so yeah. all of a sudden, there's a whole generation of kids that were, you know, at that impressionable sports hero age, you know, between 7 and 12, 20 years ago, that are now have taken those physiques and turned that into golfers. Because yeah. Brooks Kepka, I mean, I, got, I mean, I don't, that three wood he hit on 18 was 370 yards. Like that's that's a that's a short par not a short that's a par four exactly. I know it would be like driver seven iron for me or something. I don't know, but uh, hey, I want to ask you as a professional broadcaster, you've been in this business forty years, microphone forty years, long long time. What did you think of the Fox coverage? There's been a lot of uh, it seems mixed. Seems well, that people like Zinger, facts are not bad, but Joe Buck is uh, very messed up the name of Kepka's girlfriend. I guess that's a cardinal sin mm, broadcasting. Yeah. Speaking of girlfriends, but, uh, uh, I would. It, I, yeah, it, I, I have a Ricky Fowler's girlfriend is uh, she's a very um, attractive woman. Anyway, if you want to Google her, that's your own thing. Um, here's what I would say: what what they did with Joe Buck is they. They paired him back quite a bit. Like the first year they had it was a couple years ago with Greg uh, Norman at Chambers Bay. Terrible. Uh, Well, Greg was awful, but Joe Buck talked too much. This year it seems like they have they they, he just basically did the broadcast mechanical stuff, the um, in and out of stuff. You know, going in and out of commercial and setting up the features. I thought Zinger was fine. The one that I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised uh, about was uh, Faxon. 
I, I actually thought he did a pretty good job, to be honest with you. I did. Oh, I thought I thought Faxon was really good. I like Zinger a lot. I thought he was up to his, his usual stuff. Uh, but, boy, there's been so many critical comments about Buck. I, I, I thought he was fine. You know, it takes time. It, to, you know, Jim Nance and uh, Dan Hicks, these guys have been doing it for, what, 20 years? Nance probably longer. You know, it takes a long time. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Golf is hard. Like, I, I listened to a podcast that Buck did with Golf Digest, and he said that when he's covering, say, a World Series or a football game, he sees everything. In golf, you're doing a lot of the calling off a monitor, and that's a different deal for someone like him. And, you know, yeah, he, you know, yeah, getting the, the girlfriend's name wrong, yeah, Cardinal sin, I guess. Uh, but, uh, I, I thought they were fine. Uh, it just unfortunately was not uh, the most compelling tournament, and a lot of interesting discussion. It, it certainly wasn't a uh, you know a penal U.S. Open course where the greens play like you know trying to putt on the hood of a car or something. You know, I mean, as far as Joe's performance and getting the name wrong, it's, it was fairly insignificant to me. As far as the golf course goes, yeah, I think that. Every once in a while, it's okay to have a, a U.S. Open golf tournament that, because of weather, doesn't play like a, you know, like a prison sentence. Um, you know, that, that golf course could have played a lot differently. I mean, oh, if they have the kind of wind that they get there, you know, you know, we're going to play together tomorrow at my course, Glenn Karen. And I was saying to some guys that that course, Aaron Mills, uh, Aaron Hills, uh Reminded me a lot of Glen Karen if, if Glen Karen's fescue was sort of that yellow, wispy grass, like yeah. actual fescue grasses. And that kind of course, when it's windy, is a, is a bugger. I mean, when it's not windy, it's a fairly easy track. But mm-hmm. if you get the kind of wind they're supposed to get at Aaron Hills, I think the scores would have been a lot higher. Yeah, it blew more on Sunday, and I think that the stroke average was up two strokes, if I heard that correctly. Yep. But the, the real piece was that the greens were not, you know, like, you know, trying to putt in a bathtub and they didn't have uh, the firmness. And and hence Johnny Miller saying that Justin Thomas's 63 wasn't, you know, as he didn't really say it outright, but he was just basically saying that, you know, my 63 was on a lot tougher course, but whatever. Well, you knew Johnny Miller, you knew he wasn't going to stand for having his record, you know, be eclipsed by, you know, somebody that finished, you know, T 10th or whatever Justin finished, but like, I don't know. I, I have no problem with the, the sport advancing. I think there's going to come a time, not to sound like an old guy, but, you know, there, just in, like in other sports, there's a, a limit to the amount of whatever that the equipment can do. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you hit a three-wood 370 yards, it's not, you're not playing the same game as the guy whose clubhead speed is 10 or 15 miles an hour slower than yours it's just not the same game and i think at some point they're going to have to restrict the tournament ball they just are yeah yeah something has to, the usga blew that one that you know that the thoroughbred left the barn years and years ago but they're gonna have that was all in that time period where they were getting sued by trying to um govern the i remember the box grooves on the callaway wedges and that type of stuff and they just caved but um, I don't know. It, it's ridiculous. I think that course, Aaron Hills, actually plays something like eighty-five hundred yards. Mm-hmm. They didn't play. They didn't have to go that long. But um, yeah, there's, there's something that's going to have to change. And and you know what? So so Aaron Hills is a was a new type of golf course, the same way that Chamber Bay 
uh, Chalmers Bay, whatever you call it. In Chambers Bay. Yeah. So, you know, what are they going to do? Keep going back to like Marion and Shinnecock and all of that? No, you got to try some new stuff. So maybe the new stuff will be, um, you know, changing up the, the equipment or something, but. I don't know, Timmy, but don't you think, we'll like, I read something online, somebody saying, you know, Chambers Bay and this course, I mean, they're fine golf courses, but they're more in the style of the Open Championship. Why? Do, I mean, yeah. the U.S. Open has traditionally been on sort of the great American golf courses, Shinnecock and Pebble Beach and Marion and these places and the Olympic Club. I mean, those are the kind of golf courses that... It doesn't have to be 7,700 yards. You know, you make the rough high, you narrow the fairways, you make the greens fast, and it doesn't matter how far you hit the ball because you can't hit the ball far in those courses because you'll be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a there's a case to be made besides some somewhat of a, a modification of the equipment. I think there's a case to be made for playing U.S. Open courses on U.S. Open golf courses. I mean, sorry, yeah, the U.S. I, Open. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I take your point about you can use the course as as the defense. Um, yeah, but I, but how long do the manufacturers have their way? You know, with all due respect to our good friends at TaylorMade. By the way, the new ball is bananas. Are you using it? The TP five? No, not yet. No, I'm going to actually get. Uh, actually, I was given a box by our good friend Jared. Uh, but I haven't gone into it. I'm Dude. still using my old one. <laughs> okay, I'm going to bring you some. Uh, we're playing. Timmy and I are playing. Uh, I got some. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, 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 okay, I'll bring them out tomorrow. No, bring them out tomorrow. I'm just going to say this. Um, in the, I was using them through May, you know, or I call it late winter. I uh, used it through May and really didn't start to notice any difference. I was playing with Stu Banantine, and I said, I'm really not noticing much difference. He said, wait till it warms up, and he was right. Because uh-huh. now that the weather is... You know, sort of in the 20s and the humidity is up. I'm telling you, Tim, it's not just that the ball goes further. It goes further when you hit it horribly. A couple times, I know I, as soon as I hit my eight iron, you know, whatever, as soon as I hit it, I thought, oh, God, I missed it. And then the ball went the, the distance. And I was like, ooh, that's different. <laughs> like, like, it sort of freaked me out a little bit because I was like, wait a second. It wasn't, that ball shouldn't be where it is. So let me well, just we'll recommend it highly. All right. All right. Um, okay, well, I could tell you about the national invite where I, th- I four-putted three times and three-putted twice, and it was chaos, but I'll save that for uh, another time. Because was it chaos last year, too? Dude, it's a tough golf course. God. Oh, I know it is. I know it is. I it's just so tough. Last year, last year, Sandy and I are driving home from somewhere, and, 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 and your need of, like, some – some guidance and support and lovingness. No, it, now I'm fine. Sandy's Daddy, reading me these texts from you. It's just like, oh, he's in golf hell. Um, no, but you know the thing is, again, my attitude's so different now. I went out there yesterday. Love the golf tour. I love the golf course. Love the golf tournament. Played great. I was in twelve fairways. Twelve out of fourteen fairways. I was in play. And the other two, I was just slightly in the rough. One time, I was in the edge of a hazard, but I could still play the ball. So, basically, I was never out of play off the tee, and I shot 86. <laughs> wow. And I'm telling you, dude, I birdied six and seven. Six and seven in a row. Like, it was insane. I got on the middle of a couple of greens. I got on the middle of 16, four-putted. I got at the front of 14, four-putted. I got on the side of uh, four, four-putted. And I've played and I'm not exaggerating, a thousand rounds of golf there. But I was just, you know what it was? I just got tentative with my speed. And when I, when hit, when I wouldn't, when you hit it by, the greens were running almost 12. 
And that's wow. that's U.S. Open-ish. That's tour speed, and I wasn't used to it. So when you get a 15-footer and you hit it too hard, it goes 15 feet by. <laughs> like, I was watching balls roll by the flag and night going, oh, that's not going to stop anytime soon. And then I would try and putt it back because your, your natural inclination as well. Let me make a good putt here and see if it goes in. And that would go four feet by, but on the high side, and I missed that. So... Like, it wow. was a weird round of golf. Like, I felt like I hit the ball fantastic. I hit the sixth green, a par five and two. I chipped in on seven for birdie. Like, I was hitting the ball really nicely. And yet, I couldn't make the ball go in the hole. And as I said to my coach, Paul, I said, dude, I just fell in love with putting today. And he says, what do you mean? I said, I just couldn't stop. I just, <laughs> I just couldn't stop putting. It was insane. Anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to All it. Right. All right, man. And you, and you, and you live through it. and you, and you, and you, and you Because you're a big boy now. You're a big boy golfer. I love that. Buddy, I felt, I'm going to tell you, it's, a, it's such a different way to play. I'll, I'll say this. You can play golf and be, you know, sort of a pouty little boy or a little kid, but you can't play tournament golf like that. You can't. Yeah, or you're going to shoot totally. millions. Uh, Tim right. O'Connor. there. Hard-earned. Hey, son, uh, let everyone know that uh, you are offering. What are you offering? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, until the end of this month, I'm offering a complimentary session. It's called Better Golf Through Awareness. Um, I'm only taking 10 uh, people. And so if you want to have a complimentary session, um, it's valued at 90 bucks. But just so you can kind of try this coaching thing out, just send me an email and express your interest. Better Golf Through Awareness, that's the subject line. Tim, uh, Tim, I, I want to make sure I get this right. It's Tim, what is it? At O'ConnorGolf.ca. Is that your email, Tim, at O'ConnorGolf.ca? Right, yeah, which is makes sense because my website is O'ConnorGolf.ca. Yeah. Taylor Made brings you uh, Swing Thoughts along with Glen Karen, Blue Springs, and the rest of the Club Link family. There's never been a, t- a better time to join, and i got to tell you, um, as opposed to last year when a lot of these golf courses were suffering from drought, uh, when you have you been to Glen Karen recently? No. no. Dude, you're going to no, love I've been, it. I've been there, but not on the course. Timmy, it's it's beautiful. I haven't, I've been there four years. I've never seen it look as... Uh, as pristine as it looks now. It's something else. Yeah, well, they, they that, that's great because they, they struggled last year with the drought and then they got uh, all this rain and they got uh, they got some kind of a, a fungus uh, because of the high humidity and nowhere for the rain to go and the fairways got decimated. So no, I, nice to hear it's all... Well, back. and, and, and not, really only, forward to it. not only did Glen Karen suffer, uh, Heron Point did, lost all its water and a lot of clubbing yeah. courses, but I'll tell you, universally... All the club link courses I've been to this year, been Emerald Hills and Station Creek and Bondhead. They're just in such great shape. Check out Club Link and, uh, in particular, Blue Springs and Glen Karen. Okay, Tim O'Connor, very good. All right. All right. Good chat with you, brother. Let's, All right. Uh, let's do it again soon. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right, Cheers. take care.